computer. This is data. I'm an android. I'm a basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. One of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. <laughs> what is up, everyone? Welcome back to another edition of the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm your host for the day, Tim. You know me as Cranjus McBasketball on Twitter. And today, we're going to go off the court. Uh, I want to go through a series of pods, not all this week or all in the next week or two, but I want to go over the coaching staff at some point. I'd love to talk about the front office, Rob Palenka. And today, there was an interesting, well, not today, a couple days ago, an interesting story about Clutch in the news. And I think the agency representing a number of players on the Lakers team and, and has in the past is an interesting uh, topic to look at. It's over the past couple of years, we hear, okay, the Lakers are looking into this guy. Uh, oh, why is that? Okay, he has the clutch connection. Or when we hear about who they're looking into in free agency or names floated around, a lot of people say like take clutch as acting as the Lakers almost. Or like, hey, these guys are in LeBron's friend group, and we know that because of this agency connection, which, you know, may or may not be true. And so, you know, that means they're not going to trade this guy, or they wouldn't do this guy wrong, or it's okay for them to overpay this guy, or this guy's going to take a pay cut because he'll get it back later, or maybe they're, you know, getting money under the table. All sorts of different theories that in a world of ambiguous transactions when it comes to basketball we're seeing you know draft picks and trades and free agency a lot of it is colored in that agency you know coloring uh because of that clutch connection that the lakers have with lebron and anthony davis over with rich paul and with some other players that have been on the lakers you know kcp and some others montrez harrell those guys aren't around anymore. Clearly, we're not seeing you know players taking huge pay cuts because of this specifically or not being traded because of it specifically. I think at times, Clutch's influence has been overstated or, or the degree to which Clutch equals Lakers has been certainly overstated. And the this most recent news with the lawsuit being filed on Monday is just another example, another opportunity for people on one side or another to point fingers and say something's bad or something's good. And I mean, I'm seeing too many Laker fans defending uh, an agency as if it's their team. You know, we're Lakers fans. We're not, we're not, you know, clutch fans per se. And they're certainly using the NBA's largest, most prestigious franchise to their own benefit. And it's in their best interest for that franchise to succeed for the players they have on that team, just as it's in their best interest for other teams with other star players that they represent to succeed as well. So it's it's all a very complicated, uh, you know, riddled with potential conflicts of interest that not just Clutch, but other agencies as well have to deal with. And this kind of ties into, kind of leads into our story. So on Monday, Nerlens Noel, former... Dallas Maverick, OKC Thunder guy. He was with the Knicks this uh, most recent season. Nerlens Noel on Monday filed a lawsuit against Clutch due to $58 million in lost income. He did not ask for $58 million. He was making the case that he lost out on $58 million due to a course of events. He didn't sue for a specific amount. 
amount, but he sued for breach of fiduciary duty, breach of contract, and negligence, and is asking for both compensatory and punitive damages. Now, I am not a practicing lawyer. Uh, law school was my second option if I didn't get the offer from the company I wanted coming out of grad school. Uh, I'm you know, still kicking around that idea. I was prepping for the LSATs back in grad school. But I am not a practicing attorney, so if I say something wrong, please forgive me. But a lot of this is within what I've learned in grad school or undergrad law courses with with uh, tort law um, or the other law courses I've taken and at least did well in those classes several years ago. So hopefully the knowledge is still there and, and I've done some research just to refresh my memory. But just to, I, I say all that to say, hey, you know, I think I know what I'm talking about, but I certainly don't practice this for a living. Um, compensatory damages, that, that means getting him the money back for what he would have gotten. This is like the actual cost of something, you know, this, you lost out in $58 million, or maybe they end up saying he lost out on $20 million or $5 million. The compensatory damages piece of this is giving that person back what they lost through the wrongdoing. Punitive damages are an additional extra cost. They're usually pretty high. They are a deterrent a punishment for what was done and these only really come when there's real malice behind what happened um they use this in instances where like a crime's like particularly bad or wrong and like they really want to punish it's it's less about giving the person who has done wrong more money and more about like punishing the wrongdoer in noel's complaint they claim quote clutch acted with conscious indifference to noel's rights through the behavior and acts described herein which constitute fraud, malice, or gross negligence. As a result, Noel is entitled to recover uh, exemplary or punitive damages from Paul and Clutch Sports, end quote. So they're asking for it. I certainly think there, there might be some case here. We'll go into it. But it's uh, interesting to kind of just set the stage. We're learning the facts of the case. Um, and so I want to note that $58 million number is the difference between what Nerlens Noel has earned in his contracts over the past four seasons in real life, what he's actually gotten compared to a four-year $70 million deal that the Mavs offered him that uh, based on Rich Paul's suggestion, he decided to turn down. Now, I don't think he truly did, like if, if he would have not gotten injured the year after he turned down that contract, he would have made a good bit more money than he actually did. This, in, in, in that's context, but that doesn't mean that what's being alleged here doesn't matter. It's just part of the math that goes into how much those damages end up being. But before we go into like the specific legal elements, let's let's just set the stage. Here's the timeline because this is, went on for several years. Here's what went on based on just some some facts, some reality, along with what we are told in this complaint that was filed was happening behind the scenes. So, Nero Noel was traded from Philly to the Mavs, had a good year uh, as a restricted free agent for, for Dallas. He was offered a four-year, $70 million deal. He, at this point in time, was being represented by another agency. Uh, he was working out, gosh, I forget where it was, but uh, good, good friends with Ben Simmons, went to Ben Simmons' birthday party at dinner at that birthday party, sat down next to Rich Paul, and they had a great conversation. And the conversation went something along the lines of like, oh man, you should turn that down. And, and he used the verbiage, I can make you a million dollar man. If you turn that down, take the qualifying offer instead, and then go into next off season, I'm going to get you a max contract. Is basically how that conversation went. After that dinner, 
Noah's Noel changed his his uh, representation and went over to Clutch instead because they were telling him they can get him all this money. So instead of taking that four-year 70 mil, he turned that down. He instead took the $4.1 million qualifying offer, which if you're unfamiliar, restricted free agents, they so if another team offered him a max contract and he accepted that, uh, Dallas, because they own his rights, would be able to match it and keep him. He doesn't really have the, the he can try to leave, but if the, his home team is willing to retain him and pay whatever the other team is paying, they truly have his rights. So in order to, to be free from that, you can accept a qualifying offer that first offseason that you're a restricted free agent, which is generally going to be less money than you could otherwise get. And in this case, it, it certainly was. But by taking that four mil, 4.1 mil that season, the next offseason, he completely was an unrestricted free agent and can go make his own decision. So if you are a stud and you don't get injured, um, it's a bet on yourself and you can end up making more money in a place that you want to go work. But in Nerland Zoel's instance, he then got hurt, missed 42 games the following season and ended up signing. He ended up signing a two year minimum deal the following off season with a, with a second year player option. So it was a big fall from grace for him, uh, quite a bit less money than that four year 70 mil. And what we're told in this complaint is that during that off season, what resulted in him eventually taking that min contract was Clutch not doing their jobs. Zero offers were put in front of him, despite him finding out afterwards that several teams tried to get in touch, wanted to give him offers. And what was happening is, like, as a player, you're not the one calling GMs. You're not the one GMs are calling. Yeah, this isn't this isn't at the draft where we see guys pick up the phone and it's, hi, I'm Mitch Kupchak, you know, <laughs> welcome to the Charlotte Hornets. Um that's all done through the agents, and, and this is something I've had the opportunity to see working some behind-the-scenes stuff and doing some consulting with agencies over the past several years. The agents are who you go to, and if an agent is, you know, if their phone's off or they're getting info and they're not sharing it with you, it's a realistic thing that, like, you're just not going, like, the market could be there, but you wouldn't know about it unless those offers are presented to you. So this is truly a, a position where the player is relying upon their agent to do their job, and they don't necessarily have to negotiate everything out front, but at least tell me who's interested and let me know what offers are out there. So zero offers were put in front of Noel. Um, we He found out later that some teams were trying to get in touch. And the only reason he ended up signing with the Thunder is because Russell Westbrook and Paul George reached out to him directly and convinced him OKC was the place to go. He thought he had no market, so he went and told Rich Paul, "Hey, I want to go work with. I want to go work for the Thunder. I want to go join the Thunder," and ended up taking that two-year min deal. So he plays a year with OKC. He then declines his second-year player option. Because, I mean, it's for the men. Why not? If, 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 you're, if you are good enough to be in the NBA just in general, you should be, like, that's a generally going to be a good bet unless he thinks nobody's going to go take him. So he declines that. Again, second offseason in a row, zero deals. No information was presented to him by Rich Paul. And then later, again, he finds out several teams uh, tried to sign him. Uh, over the past two offseasons, the 76ers, the Rockets, the Clipper. The Thunder, who he only found out through because the players reached out to him. Uh, the Knicks, same sort of situation. And then several other unnamed teams. They only named several, uh, a couple teams, but we don't know how many teams were out there trying to go after him. He ended up, you know, being pretty upset with this, being frustrated. Um, and 
after signing that, he ended up signing another uh, min deal. Um, he talked to, hang on, I'm sorry, I'm getting mixed up in my notes. So he talked to someone at Clutch about leaving, saying like, hey, this is ridiculous. Like, <laughs> you're not doing your jobs. And that guy, it wasn't Rich Paul, that individual convinced Noel to stay by saying there, there was a three-year deal with the Thunder in the works and it would get him like 21 to $30 million. So that was, I mean, he was thinking, you know, you guys are doing me dirty, but then that presented to him, that info presented to him made him think that, you know what, there is something in the works. This is working out. They're doing their jobs, you know, about to make some money. But then that didn't happen. And uh, he was told that the Thunder had to clear some space to make it work and it was still possible, but it didn't happen. Now, looking in retrospect, and it's hard to know exactly what their cap sheet looked at at that time exactly, but looking at their cap sheet for that season now, it looked like it would have been doable. It looked like they would have definitely had the space to sign Noel to like a 7 to $10 million deal per year. Um, Noel ended up again getting a deal, not through Clutch being proactive, but this second offseason because the Knicks reached out to... Uh, a friend of Nerland's and that person connected them with Rich Paul. And then he was able to get a $5 million deal to play with the Knicks. After signing that deal, he fired clutch. And what he said was the last straw for him firing clutch was learning that clutch had a, and I'll quote, had a history of mismanaging and ignoring other clients and costing them significant money. Now he didn't really dive into the specifics of what exactly that meant or or who that meant um but he named a couple players just as examples and the examples that he named were shabazz muhammad and norris cole now i tried to do some digging and look through things and see you know what did all of that look like um and i don't really think either of those two guys really lost out on a bunch of money given what their, I mean, just looking at our, our data, people index, like I, they, they weren't, you know, killing it on the basketball court. So I don't know if they're great uh, pieces to help his case. I don't think their markets would have been all that strong, but the thing is there might be more information. We don't know just because they, they didn't play all that well in a season. According to our data, doesn't mean that teams didn't try to give them deals and potentially there were other situations and they might've been other situations where, Clutch cost them money by, you know, not really having any sort of strategy or picking up the phone or doing anything to try to help them out. We don't know this. That's what's being alleged. And I mean, this matters more for what Nerlens Noel decided was the reason for him to leave Clutch for for this lawsuit. We're going to need more information and that doesn't need to happen right now. Um, But another thing to monitor. So now he's with a new agency, took a three-year deal with the Knicks guarantees him $27.7 million. He has another about $4.1 million in possible incentives. Uh, I thought it was interesting. Clutch filed a grievance against Nerlens Noel for not paying commission on a contract, which I think then partially sparked him firing back with this. Um, let me double check. Let me make sure I'm getting my timelines right. So he was signed by the, or he was drafted by the Sixers 2013 to 2016, and then 2017 played with the Mavs. Um, when, when he was traded during the 2016-2017 season. And then for 2018-2019, signed that deal with uh, OKC, opted out, signed another deal with OKC. And then 2020-2021, uh, ended up taking a deal with the Knicks. So I'm getting my, my timeline straight. So really the basis of the argument 
is he's saying, one, Clutch didn't make him a priority when he was a free agent. He felt like they were focusing on other marquee guys, helping them out, and he was just kind of in the background. And that's, you know, certainly possible and would certainly hurt his case. If you're one agent and you're representing 10 guys who are all free agents in an offseason, and I don't know how many they had that offseason, but if, you know, not everybody can be, you, you can't call every front office all at the same time on behalf of everybody. You, you kind of have to have some sort of pecking order. And it sounds as though Nerlens Noel felt as though he was at, at the end of that pecking order. Two, he, he's saying that Clutch wasn't responsive to teams looking to sign him as a free agent. And really, like, even if he wasn't a priority, but they, and, and Clutch wasn't actively going out and, and being proactive about things, but they would just answer the phone call, let him know who's interested in, in kind of what their baseline offer might be. That's more the minimum requirement of being an agent, but it, he's alleging they didn't even do that. And then the uh, failure to execute that multi-year deal with the Thunder that he was told in the works is is another point of emphasis that's placed. And this is an interesting one to me because given how far this goes, if we get to the point where we're in the discovery phase, either in a trial or potentially in arbitration as well, uh, although you know discovery is a little bit different in arbitration, that, that would allow there there to be some digging done and more evidence gathered that like our documents or emails that belong to clutch and if we go find that they've lied about that multi-year deal with the thunder like that's that's damning if we find that they're like bad mouthing Nerlens noel and saying like ah, that guy doesn't matter like haha you know who called me yesterday like leon rose and i didn't say anything to him like that sort of stuff could be evidence certainly he doesn't have that right now um it's it's much more so here's what Nerlens noel is saying but if he can make a case and get this to the point where we're able to dig for evidence, that's the kind of stuff that could pop up in addition to other things that Clutch may not want to pop up. We'll see. So that's kind of laying the groundwork. We're going to take a quick break and then come right back and dig into what the next options are and where this might go moving forward. Okay, so we are back. We know the facts of the case, or at least what's being alleged. And so here's here's really what we're looking at now. The first thing that could happen is this case could be dismissed because of the mandatory arbitration clause in the NBA CBA, which is something that Noel asks to be like circumvented, essentially, in his complaint. Um, this, to me, is the largest hurdle here. If there, it, like, there's a good chance this never goes to trial, doesn't even have to like come to, he doesn't even get a chance to make a prima facie case, if the court decides that, like, hey, you, your contract said you have to go to arbitration, you can't do a lawsuit, so you have to go to arbitration, you can't do a lawsuit. Um, in that instance, they go to arbitration, and, and I'll talk about that a little bit later, but that, to me, would be a, a win relative to the options for Clutch. If the court says, you know what, I th- you know, we think this is worthy taking on, we are going to take this on, we're not going to just outright dismiss it, Nerlens Noel then has to make or has to have a good enough uh, prima facie case, which is basically like uh, let me go, let me make out, make sure I'm getting my Latin definitions correct. Uh, so it's like on the first impression, at first sight, you know, is there any merit here? You can file a lawsuit against somebody for something ridiculous, and if like at its face value, that's just like no, this is no, <laughs> you, you know, there are four requirements to say that someone's being negligent if you know it's pretty clear that you don't meet those four we don't have to waste our time we don't have to waste anybody's money on this you know we're just going to dismiss this case 
for this instance, I'm going to think, I think I'm going to look at negligence. I think that's probably where they might be able to focus their efforts and make some sort of case. Um, Nerlens Noel would have to satisfy four factors in order to make a prima facie case for negligence. And again, we don't, they don't really need to have a bunch of evidence at this point in time. It is common to at least cite having emails or documents to show that you have something more than just your word, but we don't necessarily need that right now. Um, the four factors for a prima facie case for negligence are duty, so the existence of a legal duty that the defendant owed to the plaintiff. Yes, <laughs> this is a check mark here. Um, there is a duty of... Rich Paul and Clutch, based on the SPAC, the Standard Player Agent Contract, based on that contract, there's a duty of loyalty in utmost uh, good faith, duty of candor, uh, duty to refrain from self-dealing, duty to act with integrity of the strictest kind, duty of fair and honest dealing, duty of strict accountability, and duty of full disclosure. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. There's, I mean, we, we, you can argue whether or not those duties were breached, but there is a legal duty of Clutch to do their job. They had a contract. Now, the second part of this is breaching that duty. Um, yes, I think, I mean, based on what's being said, this this is really looking like it'll be a check mark as well. Um, if there's really no meaningful work on Noel's behalf in terms of securing new contracts, that's, that's, you know, breaching what you're supposed to do. Not going after any new endorsement deals, which he alleges, that's something you're supposed to be working on. There were zero, uh, there was little in terms of, or there was nothing in terms of offering strategies to Nerlens on how to maximize his value and earnings. That's something they're supposed to do. The fact that, uh, I was going to say Chris Paul, Rich Paul refused to take and return calls from interested teams in signing Nerlens, you know, that is the most straightforward piece of this. I don't, like, you can argue about the intent versus just, like, he, he didn't have the time to do it or wh whatever it might be. They're trying to help the Lakers. Like, whatever you, you might think that is, 
the fact that he wasn't taking calls, returning calls, relaying any information to Nerlens Noel, that seems the most straightforward piece of this. Now, we might need a little bit of evidence to prove that, some corroboration here more than just Nerlens Noel saying it himself, but that, if true, is definitely checking this box. Him having to back-channel his way to, like, two contracts um, rather than just letting his, his agent like work the way they're supposed to work is insane to me then the third piece of this is causation and and this is uh something that's really important you have to have proof that the defendant's breach of their of their agreement caused the injury caused the damages caused him to lose as much money as he's saying not not as much money as he's saying but caused him to lose a significant amount of money this is typically defined through proximate cause and proximate causes uh, if I had to define it, it's like the, the action that was taken or the lack of action that was taken by Clutch directly resulted in a foreseeable consequence without any intervention. It has to be like a direct, you know, A led to B in a foreseeable way. Um, so like if I'm texting and driving, I hit a pedestrian who was crossing at a crosswalk and I ran a red light to do so. That's a very like A led to B. I was distracted. That led to me hitting them. If I'm driving... And let's say I'm honking at a driver swerving on the road. And then that honk scared somebody enough. And let's say they're, they're carrying a cake around on the sidewalk and they drop that cake. And another pedestrian slipped and fell and, and broke their leg because of the cake that was dropped. Me honking, like that, me honking my horn was in no way foresee, like that didn't foreseeably cause somebody breaking their leg from falling on, you know. On the, on the sidewalk. That's that's a little bit silly. You can argue about the person swerving, um, but it, it, I hope you're understanding what I'm trying to go for here. It's the, like, this directly led to that in a foreseeable way. Um, there's a but-for test that's used. So if Rich Paul were to have done the minimum and just kind of passed along those offers to Noel, would he have ended up with a better market and a better deal if we only change that one factor? Yeah. So, again, if these things are true, I'd say that there's a pretty good case here. All right. And then the last piece of this, the fourth component, is damages. So the plaintiff suffered some sort of monetary damage. Yes. <laughs> we can argue about how much. I don't think it's 58 mil, potentially. Um, I think at the time, you know, there you can certainly say that it was fine of Rich Paul to say, you know what, it's smarter of you to turn down that deal, and then we're going to go make more money down the road. I don't think there's a lawsuit in that component of this. So don't get tied up in that too much. Um, him getting injured certainly lowered his value substantially. And and what he claims is him getting injured lowered his value, not just to the market, but to Rich Paul and Clutch to the point where they said, we're no longer going to even focus on this guy or try to help him out. So no matter how you cut it, his value went down because offers weren't presented to him. And, and I think that's the most straightforward piece of this. So I don't know that he'll get $58 million, but he certainly lost out on some money. Now, let's talk about evidence. Right now, all we really have is what he's saying. Uh, there's going to need to be some more corroboration here to either prove that Paul, uh, Rich Paul either knowingly lied to Nerlens Noel or like just completely wasn't doing his job. To me, and, and this is where you know, someone who's a practicing attorney listening right now um, could could have a different understanding of precedent, but I would imagine that it would only take at this stage in the process, we're not talking trial, we're just talking about surviving 
summary judgment in, in making that prima facie case. I think it would only really take an affidavit from someone like Brett Brown, who was specifically named in the complaint as, you know, his former coach went to him and said, yeah, we were trying to get in touch with your agent and, you know, they weren't picking up our calls. We tried multiple times. They would not let us get in touch with you. Either him or someone else corroborating the fact that teams were trying to reach out to him. There was a market and it just wasn't able to get through that fence of Rich Paul. So if he's able to get that, I think that's really what matters here. I think that's what would push this piece of it over the top. Um, that $100 million man component saying you get the max next year, that's not really the issue. Again, he got injured. Like That's that's not what this is about. Um, another component that could be important is him threatening to leave Clutch and Clutch responding by potentially lying to him and potentially misrepresenting a deal, saying that they had a multi-year deal lined up in order to keep him. That, if proven as, as a lie, would be pretty damning. Um, and it's, it's one of the few cornerstone, like, specific items called out in the summary of the complaint. So, at least Nerlens Noel and his, his lawyers seem to have identified this as, like, a, hey, if we can prove that, that's really important. We're going to stick that up at the top of our complaint. So, I'm thinking if you can get an affidavit from Brett Brown or somebody, that would probably push this forward. If so, if, if they're able to make their prima facie case, satisfy those four elements, and push this to trial, we get to the discovery phase next. And this is a period of time where in a trial, it's kind of almost like a scorched earth, like everything's open. Uh, in the, and again, this is where someone, a, a practicing attorney could provide more context, but this is the stage in the process where we, like, they made enough of a case to, you know, let us let them look into it more. And now once we're in the discovery phase, Nerlens Noel and his attorneys can uh, request specific files that might have evidence showing these things are true, showing these allegations are true. Um, there would be depositions, Rich Paul stuck in a room at answering questions, having to answer questions truthfully. Um, a lot can come out there. And this, if I were clutch, would be pretty worrisome because you know, one, this would be where they'd get the evidence to win the trial, but two, what else is there that they would find by just being able to request general, like, I don't know, intercompany emails and, and cell phone records and stuff like that? Are you going to find clutch bad-mouthing players or information about, like, helping the Lakers take over the league or something like that? I don't know. Uh, maybe Space Jam financing or under-the-table money moving. I don't know. I don't necessarily believe any of that's happening, but in theory, those would be the kinds of things that like culture would be like, crap, you know, this isn't something we want. Uh, so it's in their best interest, whether, you know, regardless of the outcome of this specific trial and, and whether or not Nolan Samuel gets his money, it's, clutch is at a point where they need to do damage control and make sure that if there is anything else that could get out, they're, they're doing what they can to, you know, legally, uh, fight the, the best they can and, and not have their dirty laundry dragged out into the public because that would certainly hurt their reputation and would be not great for them. Another option is settling. So basically clutch paying Nerlens Noel to drop his case, avoid discovery. Uh, this is still damaging to Clutch's reputation. It's not an admission of guilt, but some, you know, a lot of people are going to look at it as an admission of guilt, even though it is not. If the case survives summary judgment, I see this as Clutch's best solution. Uh, the scope of everything else going on around them, 
if they have anything to hide not related to Nerlens Noel, this is probably a good move for them to just pay him, get this out of the public eye as soon as possible. And I think Nerlens Noel probably knows that as well. So this gives him leverage. You know, his situation on its own is one thing, but his situation plus knowing everything else that could potentially be going on, going on with Clutch adds some leverage to Nerlens to either make more money in a settlement or refuse to settle and know that if he goes to trial and those punitive damages are awarded, he, along with the compensatory damages, he's going to end up getting a pretty big payday. And, you know, I don't know what his motivations are, but if he wants to really hurt their reputation and, and really, you know, put a dagger in the back, that would be a route to go. So those are kind of the major options. One thing I mentioned earlier was that this might be dismissed altogether because there is a clause in the CBA, in, in these agreements, that uh, if a player has an issue, they go file a grievance and go talk to an arbiter. They don't go file a lawsuit. So if the, uh, I don't know, judge, whoever is making this decision, decides that, you know, we're not going to take this on, we're dismissing this, the judge says, we're going to dismiss this, you have to go work this through the NBA, they'd go to arbitration and Arbitrations are fun. They're interesting. Uh, it's basically there's one person. They're in charge. There's no jury. There's not a panel of judges. You a lot of times will have like a, a list of options and then you go back and forth between the two sides and cross off and say, we don't want that guy. And then they say, we don't want this guy. And then you end up with someone in the middle that neither group maybe loves, but neither group also hates. So that's going to be some sort of seasoned lawyer. Um, they're going to hear both sides. They're going to make a decision. They're going to act as the jury in the instance, and their decision's final. They're not a moderator. They're not a counselor. They are, this is an arbitration. That What they decide is what's happening. It's hard to appeal those. That's uncommon. Um, you would have to be, it's it's a little bit different from a normal trial appeal. Like you, you those don't get appealed in, in one all that often. So that's going to be the final decision. This is something that is generally faster and more efficient than a trial. It's more quiet. This is why we see more mandatory arbitration clauses and contracts more and more common these days. Um, in this instance, if they go to arbitration, from what I understand, discovery is still a portion of this, but it is much more restricted. Again, this is supposed to be a streamlined process. It is more restricted. It's not that full throttle, scorched earth, you know, go dig up everything you can. Um, it would help Nerland Snowell win his case and find evidence for his case but the odds of things coming out to the public or the odds of them finding things that would be, you know, dirty laundry that would get out to the public is is much lower. You can also settle rather than go through that process all the way. Um, so that is also an option. There's a potential settlement whether or not the court takes this case on or says it should be arbitrated. Something that's interesting to note is in March of this year, the NLRB, the National Labor Relations Board, ruled that confidentiality requirements for arbitration hearings, discovery, and awards are enforceable. So I would imagine, and I know it is for, this way for a lot of companies, they, they say like, all right, you file your grievance, you go talk to the arbiter. Um, if you win your case, you make, you know, you get your money, but you're not allowed to go talk to your coworkers and say, hey, this happened to me. I made this much money from it. And, you know, you should go file a grievance too. If there's a settlement, uh, we, so uh, I'm sorry. So in those instances, though confidentiality is enforceable, but for settlements with arbitration, the board ruled that 
agreements cannot silence workers regarding the details of the settlement through confidentiality provisions. So what this what could happen is court says, no, we're not going to take this on. They go to arbitration. They go th- all the way through arbitration. And uh, Noel wins. And we don't really hear much coming out because he doesn't want to lose his money for breaking confidentiality. But if they go to arbitration and settle, we'll probably find out about the dollar amount. Uh, and either way, we in all likelihood won't find out about some of those more damaging potential findings and discovery that might be even just a bad look relating to this case um, or potentially related to other items you know outside this case so that's what happened what could happen me as a as a lakers person is now thinking all right what does this mean for the lakers (laughs) I don't, I don't necessarily, like, I'm not going online to go defend Clutch or go defend Nerlens Noel. It's, it's certainly interesting, and I'm going to track what happens as someone interested in law. But, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. We're already seeing some bad takes thrown out there. I've seen some folks claim that Clutch was looking to specifically aid the Lakers by not communicating info to Noel and free agency, which is a pretty stupid assertion, given what we know right now. I say that's a big stretch. He was given, you know, remember... He was presented zero offers. This wasn't a situation where Nerlens Noel was presented offers to go to bad teams, and then the good teams that reached out that might compete with LA suddenly, you know, somehow their offers got lost in the in translation. <laughs> this is nobody's offers were getting through. So even though several of the examples that we've heard about were teams that were contending at the time, it's not really helping. Like that, this isn't. This does not equal that. Now, if they go to, to, to Discovery and we find little things about them trying to help the Lakers, that would be surprising to me. That would certainly be, you know, a firestorm of media coming afterwards. But I'd be really surprised. I, I doubt that's what's happening. No matter what, this certainly isn't a good look for Clutch, but I don't necessarily see this as being good or bad for the Lakers. Um, them embedding themselves with Clutch you know, makes them seem worse in some ways. But, I mean, we're at the point where they just traded away several clutch players. Um, so I don't necessarily think it's good or bad. I will say in general, outside of this situation, just the volume of players and, like, media people and folks in front of offices that either currently or formally were with some of these different agencies is something to be aware of. It's not just players that are being represented by CAA or clutch or whoever. There are some reporters that, you know, are tied to specific groups or paid by specific groups or front office members who were part of specific agencies. We've, you know, Rob Palenka uh, in the past was an agent. Like, that's that agency path in some ways is a path to front office jobs. Um, But (laughs) I think it'd be really interesting if when, like, specific reporters were, uh, like, reporting things or we're seeing, like, Woj or whoever uh, talk on ESPN or some talking head, I wish we could see, like, clutch in parentheses next to their name like you know Cranjus mcbasketball in parentheses you know abc <laughs> agency the same same way we see with like r or d in parentheses with politicians i think that would help make more sense uh it would, it would allow us to make more sense of what's being said if there's a slant going on we'd see it uh more easily and understand it more easily um but the, you know these these things happen there are certain reporters that are the only ones you're going to see break news from specific agencies. And that is a give and take relationship. Uh, you know, I reporter Cranjus, this is, I mean, this is an example, this isn't me, but I reporter Cranjus will, you know, 
be the only person you give to give stories to to report for your clients and in exchange for that i'm going to make sure i'm framing everything as positively as possible that's the in theory the potential way that could look so you know always know there's a reason info's coming out or not coming out there's that game within the game even off the court uh but as a lakers person i'm more sitting back and, and grabbing the popcorn than i am worried or excited or anything with this situation i mean Hope it all works out for everyone. I hope Nerlens Noel was able to get some of his money. Um, I'm glad he was able to at least sign a, a nice deal this upcoming season. So we'll we'll see see what's going on. Uh, I think we'll have to dig into clutch another time, in you know in a, in more broad terms. But here's a nice 40 minutes on a legal situation that maybe will get thrown out, <laughs> um, and we might not hear anything about again, or it might be just a gigantic gigantic story in the coming months. So hopefully this was interesting. If it wasn't, my apologies. I promise next time we will take everything back to the basketball court. And Tom and I will be getting together on Friday. I will be sharing my breakout min guide that's still available somehow that the Lakers need to go after. And we'll talk about some other interesting things as well. But thank you for joining us today. I've been Cranjus McBasketball. This is the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. Feel free to go on iTunes or wherever you're able to rate and review the pod, share it with your friends, share it with your coworkers, share it with your teammates, um, spread that love, you know, share the pod. This probably isn't the, the best first episode for them to listen to. Hello to all the new listeners, by the way. Thank you for being here with us. Um, but <laughs> we'll be taking things back to the court moving forward, and it'll be more of the Lakers exceptionalism you know and love. All right, have a good one, everyone. Mother's Day is almost here. And you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.